King Ahaz of Judah, we're in 2 Chronicles 28 and in 2 Chronicles 16 as well. So let's look at Ahaz. He was 20 years old when he became king and he reigned for 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do that which was proper in the eyes of Yahweh like his father David. Now, we're going to look at the awful list of terrible things that he did as the king of Judah, son of David. He went in the ways of the kings of Israel. That's remember this. It was Jehoshaphat who first introduced his family to Ahab, Jezebel, and then a, a, some kind of strange bond seemed to form. So the godliness of Jehoshaphat didn't, didn't have any effect or influence on Ahab, but contrarywise, the evil of the house of Ahab had a bad effect on Jehoshaphat. And this just seems to just filter right through in the decades that follow. There's always this, this little darkness and sometimes it really comes to the forefront as it did in the reign of Ahaz. He went in the ways of the kings of Israel. So the comparison is made here to the kings of Israel. Meaning that the sins that Judah is, and especially the king here are beginning to commit or are, are committing are to be paralleled to that which they did in Israel. So all the bad stuff that we've been saying about the northern kingdom is now beginning to be said and has been said about the southern kingdom. He also made molten images for the Baalim. Actually, we're going to see here that uh, he became a worshiper of Molech. He burnt incense in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. That's, that's Gehenna. That's the term that Christ used that is translated hell. Christ is the only one who used it except for one. Peter uses it one time. Uh, I'm sorry, James uses it one time when he talks about the tongue being set on fire by the flame of Gehenna. And Gehenna or Ben-Hinnom is the valley where in Judah, I mean, this is in, right, right there at Jerusalem, is where they built molten images. They made images to Molech. And the way you worshiped Molech was you sacrificed children. Your own children. I read some, I didn't read, I saw the report on a YouTube about, the discovery is probably a hundred years old or older, of a lost civilization down in the southern part of Mexico, I think, somewhere down there. And they had pyramids like you see, you know, those ziggurats, those pyramids. In there. But they were able to uncover rather... Uh, uh, complex and large area had a lot of inscriptions told them a lot about how the people lived they were able to 
decipher and extract from what they saw how, the, how life was. And one of the big parts of their worship was to offer children. And they would go up to the top of this pyramid and the priest, the high priest of this, of this uh, sect, this group of people there, would be the one who would, who would uh, you know, cut, cut the throat and offer the blood. And uh, they would have young children especially dressed. They dressed them up in special way for this. It was just horrible to think about. But it's the same demon. It's the same thing that's going on here. Now, let me bring that into modern times. People don't think that people don't think about how we are facing the same spiritual forces of darkness that an unbelieving world has faced ever since the Tower of Babel, at least. It's not so much called worship today, but it becomes a lifestyle. Um, it, it becomes uh, it becomes a a mode of behavior, which, namely, is the is the and it the it goes back to this Baalim the fertility cult, where. Um, uh, sexual misbehavior was part of their so-called worship. And then to participate in, in these perverted acts of, uh, of sex, all is part of worship, which now has practically taken over at this point in time, practically taken over the Northern kingdom of Israel. So if you just want to, if you just want to remove the religion mumbo jumbo out of it, this God and that God, and just talk about what's going on. These people are sexually going crazy. They're doing anything that they want to do. But in that day, they did it in the name of religion. They did it in the name of worship. There were male prostitutes and female prostitutes of the temple. So that uh, the, the actions, the sexual misbehavior was every kind of sexual act one can think of from, from homosexuality on. And what you bring into that as well is severe child abuse. Now, this is, these are the, these are the same dark, sinful deeds that have invaded our culture where we live. These very things. Now, people don't want to think about it as going to the temple and worshiping, um, but it's happening anyway. They steal children. They, from what I've read, I, I, uh, it's very distressing to read about, to study about what happens. Children go missing all the time here in the United States. Go man, I saw a report. Uh, I don't know. It's been a month ago. There are vast numbers of children who are coming over with immigrants, and they've just disappeared. Can't find them. Don't know where they are. May I say to you, that's the same kind of demonic activity that was going on since at least the Tower of Babel. It, it includes uh, sexual perversion, unrestrained lust, um, and, and uh, child abuse. I, when I say child abuse, 
I don't mean spanking a kid until you've bruised his bottom. I'm talking about no telling what goes on with these kids. Now, look at this. This is the king of Judah. This is the son of David. He burned incense in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. That's the, that's the place that when they came to themselves later, they turned that place into a garbage dump, Gehenna. And in, in that valley, it, it stunk all the time. There was always a smoldering fire, so the, so the smoke ascended what seemed to be like forever. There, were, there was an eternal, seemingly an eternal presence of maggots. That whenever lepers died, for example, man, they'd throw them down in the valley. A lot of people who couldn't afford otherwise some kind of burial, they would just take the body and throw it down in Gehenna. Everybody, was, everybody poured their garbage and threw their garbage into Gehenna. That's what they came to think of it at a later day when Judah sort of came, came around to understanding how sinful they were in a time of their repentance. And that's how it was in the days of Jesus, Gehenna. And he compared, he compared Gehenna to the lake of fire. He says, the fire is never quenched. The smoke, the revelation says, the smoke of that pit ascends forever. Jesus said, there, the worm never dies. Well, there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, King Ahaz, in its state of Ben-Hinnom, ben is a friend of all of that. He burnt his sons in the fire. He took his own sons. This is the king of Judah. The son of David. Purportedly a forebear of the Messiah. He burned his sons in the fire. Like the abominations of the nations whom Yahweh had driven out from before the sons of Israel. What has happened to these people? It had been driven out. You remember Joshua came in. Man, they weren't going to have anything to do with this awful, sinful uh, deities. These, the, the worship of these horrible pagan gods and goddesses. Because it led people into the deepest of darkness. All the way to killing your own children. Abusing your own children. If you would do that with your own children, what would you do with other children? The... The abuse of children, it's unspeakable and unthinkable to think about what must have been happening to these children. And this was something that was a popular thing now because the king was doing it. And so you take your child and offer it to Molech in Ben-Hinnom, the valley of Ben-Hinnom. This is the king who allowed those, those images, those molten images, those altars to be built. This guy. It's horrible. I've talked about it before, but the, the image of, the, of Molech with arms outstretched at an angle such like this, and it was a solid piece of brass. The belly was hollow, and they had a hot fire burning all the time. And so someone would come up as close as they could get up to the side of the valley and they would toss their child on that burning, sizzling brass. And the poor child would sizzle and scream 
as he rolled down into the burning belly of Molech. And the people would go crazy with some kind of unfathomable, wretched, twisted glee and, and, and so-called worship. Because this was the highest thing they could do was to abuse children like this. That's what they did before the sons of Israel drove them out. This is what cost Canaan the land is to have fallen into this kind of, of so-called worship and sin collapsed into the presence of demons. And I tell you, those same demons are very active today. The, the, the terms we used we use today, we don't call them Baalim necessarily. We may not call it the God of Molech. And we, 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 may, not, we may call it a, a hundred other things, but the bottom line, it's the same thing. It's the same behavior. The devil don't care what you call it. Call it what you want to. He wants you to be blinded to the fact that it's demonic, it's evil. It's born out of the pit of hell and it is designed to destroy God's people specifically in the human race in general. So, and he sacrificed and burned incense in the high places and on the hills and under every leafy tree. He carried on his religion, this so-called religion, his worship of the Baalim. He carried on this worship. This is, this is the king, right? And he carries it on everywhere, wherever he goes. He makes the whole land. He's worse than Jezebel. Jezebel had done this to the northern kingdom. And now he's the king. And he's showing everybody he is the first king. Now, kings before him may have looked the other way when the people were doing it. But he is the first king to, of Judah to have actively participated in this kind of activity, this kind of so-called worship. And it was everywhere. Now here's what 2 Kings 16 says. 17th year of Pechah, the son of Ramaliah. Ahaz, son of Jotham, king of Judah, became king. Ahaz, 20 years old, became king, reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He did not do what was proper in the eyes of Yahweh, his God, like David, his father. He went in the ways of the kings of Israel. There it is again. And he passed his son through the fire in the abominable manner of the nations whom Yahweh had driven out from before the sons of Israel. And he slaughtered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. He was consumed with this so-called worship. So what happens? Israel spiritually is not any better here than Judah. But God raises up Israel to defeat Judah and then comes back against Israel because at this point, God is moving in his wrath to discipline Judah. So Israel defeats Judah. Let's look at uh, 28, 5 through 21 and then 2 Kings 16, 5 uh, through 9. Yahweh Elha. Yahweh his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Aram. They smote him, captured him a great captivity. 
uh, captured from him a great captivity. And they brought them to Damascus. And he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel. And he smote him with a great blow. It was a humiliating defeat. He couldn't beat anybody, this king. Pekah, the son of Remaliah, slew in Judah 120,000 in one day. 120,000 of the army of Judah in one day. All of whom were valiant men when they forsook Yahweh, God of their fathers. Why were they slain? Why did these nations defeat Judah? Now remember, he's son of David. Judah, generally, the Davidic line specifically, they carry the promise of the Christ. God can't let it come to an end. But God can certainly judge sin. And he did. So the Jewish southern kingdom didn't fall at this point in time. It will later under Nebuchadnezzar. When God would raise up a king whose policy would be such that Judah would not lose their national identity. And the promise of the seed of David would remain intact. That comes later, but not now. But they could only go so far as the wrath of God raged on against these people. 120,000 in one day. Why? Because they forsook Yahweh, the God of their fathers. Zikri, mighty man of Ephraim, slew Maasia, the king's son. And Azrikim, ruler of the palace, Elkhenah, the viceroy, and the sons of Israel captured of their brethren 200,000 women, male children, and female children. 200,000 women and children went in and captured them. Took also a large amount of spoils from them, and they brought the spoils to Samaria. Now, we're going to see in a minute that when, they, when the sons of Israel captured these Judeans or Jews from the southern kingdom and brought them out uh, to mistreat them, that they, they, they shamed, humiliated, and mistreated them. They didn't just bring them to become servants or whatever. They, they mistreated them uh, in, 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 in some of the worst ways. They brought the spoils to Samaria. Now there was a prophet of Yahweh there named Oded. He went out before the army coming to Samaria. That's the northern kingdom, right? And he said to them, Behold, because of the wrath of Yahweh, God of your fathers, upon Judah, he delivered them into your hand and you slew them with fury that reached the heavens. This is why you were able to defeat Judah because Yahweh delivered them into your hand. Now, however, the sons of Judah and Jerusalem, you say to hold for manservants and, and maidservants for yourselves. Are you not bringing with yourselves only guilt against Yahweh Elohim? Yahweh God, Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. It's one thing to be raised up and used as an instrument of Yahweh to defeat Judah, to bring them under submission and to punish them for sin. However, it's another thing to carry this thing too far and bring these people who weren't part of an army, just citizens of, of the kingdom and bring them and bring them forward as manservants, maidservants 
for yourselves and you're bringing guilt. You're bringing with yourselves only guilt against Yahweh Elohim. Now hearken to me, the prophet says, return the captives whom you've captured from your brethren for the burning wrath of Yahweh is now upon you. Certain men of the chiefs of the sons of Ephraim, Azariah, the son of Jehohanan, Berechiah, the son of Meshilamit, and Jehezkiah, the son of Shalom, and Amasa, son of Hadlai, stood up against those coming from the army. And they said to them, do not bring the captives here. For what, for what to Yahweh is guilt upon us, for what to Yahweh is guilt upon us, you intend to add to our sins and to our guilt. In other words, we're already bad. We're already sinful against Yahweh. Now you're doing this and adding another guilt, another load of sin upon us. For this will be great guilt to us and burning wrath upon Israel. The advance guard left the captives and the booty before the officers and all the assembly. And the men who were mentioned by name arose and took hold of the captives and here's why I say they abused them, because they were all naked. You see this? And they clothed all of their nakedness from the spoils. These men who said, this is not, and they went in there and said, get whatever we can from the spoils that we've captured and put clothes on these people. And there's no telling how they were mistreated and abused by the Israelites. And this brought the wrath of God upon them. They dressed them and shot them and fed them and gave them to drink and they anointed them and led them on donkeys, every feeble one. They brought them to Jericho, the city of Palms, beside their brethren and they returned to Samaria. At that time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria to aid him. He goes to Assyria for help because these other nations had whipped up on him. Also Edomites came and they slew of Judah and captured captives. Philistines raided the cities of the lowlands and the southland of Judah and they captured Beth Shemesh and Ajalon and Gererit and Socho and its villages and Timnah and its villages and Gibzo and its villages and they dwelt there. So he's losing his land. The foreigners are coming in and capturing the land. He can't do anything about it. For Yahweh had humbled Judah because of the sin of Ahaz. Now here it's interesting, he, he's called the king of Israel. For he exposed Judah and acted treacherously against Yahweh. Now indeed, portions of the southern part of the northern kingdom were under the reign and were in the territory of Judah. But spiritually here, he is compared to and called a king of Israel because he was no different. He was... He was as evil as any king of the northern kingdom. He exposed Judah. He acted treacherously against Yahweh. Tiglath Pilneser, king of Assyria, came up on him and oppressed him, but he didn't strengthen him. Ahaz shared the treasures of the house of Yahweh. He raided the temple, gave it to the king of Assyria, and the palace of the king raided the palace of the king and the princes and gave them to the king of Assyria, but he was of no help to him. Now here's how second Kings describes this uh, scenario. Then Rezin, king of Aram, Pekah, the son of 
Remaliah, the king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war. They besieged Ahaz, but could not wage war with him. That's very important. They could do a lot. Now, this is all under the wrath of Yahweh, who is in control of everything. These came, uh, the king of Aram and the king of Israel, they came to take the land, but they could only go so far. You know why? Because Yahweh has a covenant with the house of David. That's why, because of the word of God. He couldn't go any further. They couldn't, they could besiege, they could, they could do so much, they could do a lot of damage, but they couldn't take Jerusalem and they couldn't kill off the house of David. At that time, Rezin, the king of Aram, stored Elit to Aram. David captured, that was a valuable port city. And David captured it and made it part of Israel. And so now the king of Aram recaptures it and takes it back. He drove out the Judeans or the Jews. It, it could be translated Jews. This is the first place in the Bible where the inhabitants of Judah are called Jews. From Elot and the Edomites came to Elot and dwelt there until this day. I have sent messengers to Tiglath Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant, your son. Come and save me from the hand of the king of Aram, from the hand of the king of Israel, who have risen up against me. Ahaz took the silver and the gold, found in the house of Yahweh. In the treasuries of the king's palace, he sent them to the king of Assyria as a bribe. The king of Assyria heeded him, and the king of Assyria went up to Damascus and seized it and exiled its inhabitants to Kerr, and he slew Rezin. So he slew the king of, uh, uh, he, he slew this king and he took over, uh, he took over, actually, he just came in and conquered Damascus. I'm sorry. Uh, he conquered the place where the people were uh, at Damascus, seized it. So Aram, Syria, Aram, came under his power at this point in time. And uh, he could do with it whatever he wanted to do. And he, he slew the king. So now Ahaz is the king of a tattered and diminished kingdom of Judah. He had opened Pandora's box for Judah. You see, when certain things are introduced into society and for a while in that society they are acceptable, all of the things that I've described is how they did in these horrible uh, worship events of false gods. It now, it now becomes something that will never be completely put back in the box. It's already out. It's out of the box. So Judah is infiltrated with the same sins that have inundated the northern kingdom. Those sins that were introduced by that first Jeroboam who keeps getting mentioned as the one who first led Israel into sin. Ahaz now sold out completely to that. So let's look at it then in uh, the latter part of these two chapters. Uh, first of all, to 2 Chronicles 28. And at the time he oppressed him, he continued to act treacherously against Yahweh. After all, he was King Ahaz. 
And he sacrificed to the gods of the kings of Aram who had smitten him. And he said, okay, here's what he says. How was it this guy was able to whip me? He goes up and he's impressed with the worship facility in Aram. So here's what he says. Well, the gods of the kings of Aram, well, they helped him. They're strong. They're helping him. I'll sacrifice to them and then they'll help me. This is the king of Judah. But they caused him to stumble as well as all of Israel. Ahaz gathered the vessels of the house of Yahweh, of the house of God. And he cut the vessels of the house of God and he closed the doors of the house of Yahweh. He made himself altars in every corner in Jerusalem. He creates altars in Jerusalem to these false gods. And in every city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to strange gods. And he angered Yahweh, the God of his fathers. The rest of his affairs and all of his ways, both the earlier ones and the later ones, behold, they're inscribed in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. Ahaz slept with his forefathers. They buried him in the city in Jerusalem, but they didn't bring him to the graves of the kings of Israel. Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his stead. Now here's how 2 Kings describes it. King Ahaz went toward Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, to Damascus. He saw the altar that was in Damascus. King Ahaz sent to Uriah, the priest, the likeness of the altar and its pattern according to all its workmanship. So he's, what he does is he has it drawn off. He has a blueprint made of it, sends it to his priest in Jerusalem, the, the priest in Jerusalem. <coughs> Uriah, the priest, built the altar according to all that King Ahaz sent from Damascus. So did <coughs> Uriah, the priest. <coughs> I beg your pardon. <coughs> I'm telling you. That last cigar was just too much. <clears throat> you believe that, I know. Ugh. He built the order, altar according to all the king Ahaz sent from Damascus. So did Uriah the, king, the priest make it until King Ahaz came from Damascus. The king came from Damascus. He saw the altar. And the king approached the altar and offered up sacrifices on it. His priest in Jerusalem built an identical altar to the false god that they had in the other land. Here's what he did. This is the king. He burned his burnt offering, his meal offering, poured his libation, sprinkled the blood of his peace offering on the altar. And the copper altar <clears throat> that was before Yahweh, that's the brazen altar. He brought near from before the temple, from between the altar and Beth Yahweh, the house of Yahweh. And he placed it on the side of the altar to the north. He brought, he brought this altar even into the temple and put it over to the side of the brazen. You remember the brazen altar where you, the, the, where you come in and that's where you make your sacrifices to begin there at the brazen altar. So he placed it on the side of the altar 
to the north. King Ahaz commanded Uriah, the priest, saying, On the great altar, that's his new altar. On the great altar, burn the morning burnt offering and the evening meal offering and the king's burnt offering. His meal offering, burnt offering of the entire people of the land, their meal offering, their libations, and the blood of every burnt offering and the blood of every sacrifice you shall sprinkle on it. And the copper altar shall be for me to visit. In other words, I'll decide how we're going to use that thing. So he's, he's forcing through the priesthood, he's forcing all of the people of Judah to make their offerings to this false god. Uriah, the priest, did according to all that King Ahaz had commanded. King Ahaz cut off the insets of the labor stands. He removed. Now, this is, these are the things that Solomon built into this temple originally. He removed the lavers from upon them. He took the tank off the copper cattle that was under it and put it on a stone floor. The Sabbath canopy they built in the house of the king's outside entrance, he switched it to the house of Yahweh because of the king of Assyria. I mean, he, he, he does the whole thing and he would be able to say to the king of Assyria, look what I've done. I have eliminated the worship to Yahweh and I'm turning this temple into a a temple to your God, taking it away from our God. Well, it doesn't work out well for him. Ahaz slept with his forefathers, was buried with his forefathers in the city of David. Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his stead. Well, that's just a depressing passage of scripture. But it exists a little better and God is still in control. The, the, the really depressing thing is how that parallels to what's going on in the world, our world today. Very thing. We don't, we don't think of it as worshiping the Baals or, or worshiping Molech, but it's the same thing. It's the same. The bottom line is it, it, it accomplishes the same thing. The destruction of children, a whole generation, turning away the people away from the true and living God to a false God so that, so that people would participate in these heinous, sexually perverted activities and just live, a lot, live lives that are just unrestrained, doing whatever they want to do, saying whatever they want to say, not really thinking about how Yahweh will come down on them in great judgment. Is it any wonder that the judgment of God was so severe when he cast them out of the land that they were out of the land for so long. The time comes from wherever they are in the world, they will see their, the, the, the wicked ways that have been passed down through generations. I mean, still a lot of the people, the people who are descendants out of Judah, for example, I've, I've known a lot of them. I used to do business with them. Uh, still have a heart of stone. They, they, don't, they don't know anything about their God, their scriptures, so, so many of them. And yet in these, in these last days, there seems to be a turning and a yearning. And finally, the time comes when they all cry out for their Savior and they will look upon the one whom they pierced. But I'll tell you, this, this starts the southern kingdom. It introduces leaven into the loaf, into the society, into the culture that can never be taken back until absolute 
judgment and destruction comes from Yahweh. I'll end on this. Okay, think of our own culture today in America. Think about it. The things that people hold dear. The arguments that people make in favor of sin. The rejection of Christ, of our God and his word. And the debates that rage against what is absolute truth. Has it really improved the culture? Of course it hasn't. It's worsened and weakened humanity and will continue to do so in my view until Jesus comes again. Well, I'm going to stop there. We'll have our deacon prayer time.